Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. I hope you enjoyed today's encore presentation from the very first season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and survivor's guilt in the congenital heart defect community are all issues that have to be dealt with at one time or another, but are seldom discussed. Well, we decided to bring it out in the open and to talk about it, and I have three fabulous guests, Heart Dad Bryce Bagwell and two CHD survivors, Lauren Bednarz and Yasmin Southwood, discuss how being born with a CHD or being the parent of a child with a CHD can lead to one of these conditions. They also discuss helpful ways in dealing with these conditions. Please enjoy today's Encore presentation. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the second episode of Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Our purpose is to empower members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, everyone feels stressed from time to time. Not all stress is bad. All animals have a stress response, and it can be life-saving, but chronic stress can cause both physical and mental harm. There are at least three different types of stress. Routine stress related to the pressures of work, family, and other daily responsibilities. Stress brought about by a sudden negative change, such as losing a job, divorce, or illness. Traumatic stress, which happens when you are in danger of being seriously hurt or killed. Examples include a major accident, war, assault, or a natural disaster. This type of stress can cause post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Different people may feel stress in different ways. Some people experience digestive problems. Others may have headaches, sleeplessness, depressed mood, anger, and irritability. People under chronic stress get more frequent and severe viral infections, such as the flu or the common cold. Vaccines, such as the flu shot, are less effective for them. Some people cope with stress more effectively than others. It's important to know your limits when it comes to stress so you can avoid more serious health effects. All members of the congenital heart defect community have gone through traumatic stress, although some members may not remember it if they were very young when they had life-saving surgery. Regardless, the parents remember, the grandparents remember, oftentimes brothers and sisters remember. These members of the congenital heart defect community are at risk for post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and or survivor's guilt. 
That is why our topic, post-traumatic stress syndrome, anxiety, and survivor's guilt, is so important. To discuss this topic today, we have guests Lauren Bednards, Yasmeen Southwood, and Bryce Bagwell. Lauren Bednards is a 26-year-old congenital heart defect survivor, born with tricuspid atresia and a hypoplastic right ventricle. She basically has half a functioning heart and is currently 23 years post-Fontan, which is the name of her last surgery. She was also born with congenital scoliosis and an eye muscle disease. She has been through two open heart surgeries, three eye muscle surgeries, and the list goes on. From a young age, she had anxiety about many things. She was called a worrywart as she got into her teenage and adult years. Her anxiety got to the point of anxiety attacks. She feels that having a chronic illness played a big role in her anxiety and that it influenced her desire to earn a degree in psychology. She is in the process of becoming a child life specialist on the cardiac floor of the hospital as she feels she can relate to young heart patients in the hospital who are scared or have anxiety. We will meet Yasmin Southwood, an adult survivor of Tetralogy of Fallot, suffering from survivor's guilt, and Bryce Bagwell, the father of a child with a serious congenital heart defect who suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder later in the show. Let's start by talking to Lauren. Lauren, can you tell us a little bit about when you first noticed you had anxiety and how you felt? Hi, Anna. Oh, boy. I I had anxiety from the time I was little. Um, it was sometimes over, like, you know, simple kid things, you know, uh, all the way to serious things like my heart. You know, when I went to checkups, you know, I'd always ask my parents, should I be worried about something? You know, when the doctors talk, you know, you don't understand. From worrying about getting sick and washing my hands a lot to stressing out about, you know, tests and just all different kinds of things. But I think when I hit my teenage years and early adult years and started having some health issues and then my parents divorced and everything, it really skyrocketed from there where I would have anxiety attacks and panic attacks. Well, it sounded like you were suffering from more than just anxiety about your heart defect if your parents went through a divorce. And teenagers have anxiety anyway just going through the teenage years. Oh, yeah, definitely. So what did you do? When I was little, I usually just went to my parents, especially my mom. I'd always, you know, tell her about my anxiety and my worries, and she would tell me whether I should be worried or I shouldn't be worried. Um, and usually she'd, you know, if I, you know, she'd sit down and talk to me about certain things, and she was always open and honest about my heart and what I should and should not worry about. So as I got older, though, I ended up seeing a psychologist because it, I didn't feel like, with so much going on, I didn't feel like I could talk to my parents all the time. Right. That does become more difficult, especially as you're a teenager. So did you find that helpful? Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it was someone who, you know, didn't know me uh, and, you know, couldn't judge me uh, or tell me, oh, yeah, it's going to be okay because, you know, they weren't my parents or anybody <laughs> else. Um, so and then they would give me certain things to kind of uh, self-help myself. So, Can you share some of those techniques with us? Um, one of them is like keeping a journal and mm -hmm. I did that and that helps cause you, you know, you get all your feelings out on paper and, um, another one is a, a hobby, you know, kind of get your mind distracted off of some anxieties. So I was really into writing and books and reaching out, uh, in a support group, kind of like, you know, other CCers my age, you know, to know that I'm not alone and to interact with them. And that really helped a lot too, to know that I can talk to someone who totally gets it on every level. Absolutely. So do you know many other adults with congenital heart defects who also suffer from anxiety? Actually, I do. I didn't realize how common it was 
until I started talking to some. And it seems like almost all of them have been through some kind of anxiety or, you know, at some point in their life about their heart or other things. Do you know of any groups on Facebook that might be helpful to our listeners? Um, if you're a woman with CHD, I'm part of this really awesome woman with CHD group. Uh, that's my primary one. But I know there's other ones with just a whole bunch of adult CHDers. The uh, Adult Congenital Heart Association uh, has a forum board with, you know, adult CHDers from all around the world and, you know, openly talk about all sorts of things. So. Absolutely. The Adult Congenital Heart Association is definitely something that adults with congenital heart defects need to know about. That's an organization all of you can join that is free of charge. And Lauren's right. They do have message boards, and they also have doctors and other professionals who give webinars. It's a, it's a really awesome organization. I belong to it. Lauren belongs to it. I know a lot of members of our community actually do belong to it. So you talked about writing being helpful for you to cope with your anxiety. Are there any other things that you do to help? Uh, usually I can just, I usually just try to talk to myself every time I have anxiety. I usually like, should I should really should be worried about this or should I be worried about this? So I kind of try to talk myself down. <laughs> That's called self-talk, and that definitely is a, a great technique. Have you ever considered taking medication for your anxiety? Um, that's a tough one because I'm on heart medication and sometimes it can be a balancing act because there's certain medications that can interact with each other, cause certain side effects. So I have thought about it, but I, I'm a little bit actually more worried about taking something added on to my heart, you know, medication and, and what that would do. But I do know CHCers who are on it successfully, so it's, it's still, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Okay. Well, it's good to know that you have different options that are available to you and it's also good to know like you were saying earlier that you're not alone there are others with congenital heart defects who are using medication and doing so successfully are they using the same kind of heart meds that you are um some of them like not the exact ones maybe we'll have one in common or whatnot but it's always important when you're doing any kind of medication change that's even not related to the heart you should definitely talk with your cardiac team uh before you start taking anything i always let people know that that's excellent advice, and you're absolutely point on with that. The other thing that we need to remember is that when we go to see someone like a psychologist who may write a script without knowing all the medications you're on, that you also tell your psychologist what medications you take on a regular basis. Absolutely. So um, can you tell me what advice you would give to other congenital heart defect survivors who are suffering from anxiety just like you are? Well, first off, like I mentioned, you're not alone. There are groups out there, mm -hmm. the Adult Congenital Heart Association, Facebook, even Mendes Little Hearts, like support groups like outside, you know, the Internet. Um, know that, you know, if you can't talk to anyone in your family, because that's usually the next step, if you can't trust anybody, a psychologist uh, is great, uh, a behavioral um, therapist where they give you techniques to, to you know, counteract your behaviors um, and you know, self-help books, like sometimes I do that, or there's even medication if you absolutely have to, but I usually count that as a last resort. I think that's all great advice. Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners? Oh, boy. Uh, just know that you're not alone, and it's uh, anxiety is a lot more common in siege uh, years than we think even young ones. So parents, if you think your siege year has anxiety, um, you know, definitely make sure you you take it uh, importantly and you definitely help them out because it can get worse uh, as we grow if it's not taken care of early. 
Oh, Lauren, I think you're absolutely right. I know I've had some friends whose children developed a extreme anxiety about needles because you all have to get blood more often than somebody who doesn't have a heart defect. Is that something that ever caused you trouble? Oh, yeah. Actually, <laughs> I still uh, cringe when I have to get needles. I definitely, you know, have taught myself how to get through them, and I, one, talk a lot. Even mm-hmm. if the nurse or whoever's taking my blood doesn't even actually hear what I'm saying, I talk, and I look away. I and, do, too. <laughs> <laughs> I look away, and then I just talk, and usually that helps Yeah. Lot. Well, that's so, good. To distract I'm... yourself, so you're thinking, you know, you know. That is absolutely right. I know when Alexander was little... Uh, we went through a period where they were afraid something was wrong with his blood, and we had to go in several times in one week, and he had to get blood. And he became very, very fearful every single time he saw the nurse. And my older son, Joey, was coming with us, and he would try and tell jokes and try and distract Alex, and he would hold Alex's hand. And as a last resort, we said, okay, you can just scream, Domino, Domino, Domino. That was the name of his dog. And so by the time we were done that week, everybody knew the name of his dog. Well, it definitely helps to distract. I remember, you know, um, my older brother, younger brother, trying to do that, or my parents. Sometimes they would resort to bribery. If you get through this, you can have whatever you want afterwards, and then be like, oh, did I say whatever you want? (laughs) So, yeah, bribery works, too. (laughs) Depending on the age of the child or what you're offering, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. I really appreciate the courage that I know it took for you to come on the show today and for sharing your experiences with our listeners especially those who are dealing with anxiety, too. Now we need to take a commercial break, but when we get back, you'll meet another adult survivor of a congenital heart defect and find out why this woman suffers from survivor's guilt when we get back. Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect or CHD community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. 
Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today, we are talking with members of the congenital heart defect community, Lauren Bednarts, Yasmin Southwood, and Bryce Bagwell, who are dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and survivor's guilt. We just finished talking with Lauren about anxiety. Now, let's talk to an adult survivor of Tetralogia Fallot, a serious heart defect that used to be known as Blue Baby Syndrome, about survivor's guilt. Yasmin Southwood is 28 years old. She has had two open-heart surgeries, one when she was three and the other when she was 20. When she found out that she was supposed to have another open-heart surgery, she freaked out. Her anxiety was very high, and she was slowly having anxiety attacks that eventually led to a nervous breakdown. After her surgery, she was very afraid to do what she would normally do, like rollerblade, ride a bike, or even hang out with her friends. She has admitted to having survivor's guilt. She sees others with congenital heart defects passing away or struggling, and she asks herself why she was allowed to live. Her friend lost her three-year-old to a congenital heart defect, and Yasmin cried, saying that it should have been her. She feels terrible about living when others have lost their lives. Sometimes she asks, why me? It scares her when meeting someone new or starting a new job, or going to a new school because she wonders, will they judge me? Yasmin, when was the first time you suffered from survivor's guilt? I think it has to be when one of my close friends lost their kid. Right. Um, she lost it when she was, the her child was three, and that was how old I was when I had my first surgery. So it kind of hit home for me a little hard. Did her child also have the same heart defect you did? Yes. Yeah, I, that's when I find it to be difficult as well. My son was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, and when I see others pass away with that same heart defect, it hits me differently than when I just see someone pass away. So uh, what did you do about the way that you were feeling? Um, I... I talked it out with friends, I talked it out with my husband, and I spent a lot of time with my neighbor, and well, not my neighbor, but my neighbor's dog, and I spent a lot of time just holding and fishing out with my lizards. Hanging out with your lizards. Anybody who would see you on Facebook would know that you absolutely love lizards. I've never seen any one person have so many pictures of lizards. <laughs> they're my babies. Um, yeah, I have six of them, and they're my world. Well, and so it's good to know that you found something to help you cope. How mm-hmm. how does how do you, uh, your lizards help you cope with this? They're there, like they like any animal. They can sense my feelings and. Like, they'll come up to me when I need, you know, when I need support or something, they're there. That is amazing. You don't usually associate cold-blooded animals like lizards with being affectionate and being sensitive to somebody's feelings. Yes. Wow. I never would have expected a lizard to help. When you said your neighbor's dog, I totally got it. I'm a dog person with three dogs myself, but I have Mm -hmm. no lizards intentionally. I live in Texas, so we have lots of lizards, but they're not intentional. (laughs) It sounds like, and yours are really big. Yeah. The ones that I have are really little, and so I was surprised to see how big they were. Now, do you hold them or touch them? Yeah, I hold them. I treat them. They're just like my, they're just like a, they would be a kid to me, like a human kid. 
um, I've, you know, I raised them from two months old up, and they've, you know, they're part of my life. They're my kids, and I would do wow. anything for them. That's amazing. I, I love it that you have something that's extraordinary about you with your heart defect, and then you have an extraordinary pet on top of that. That's really neat. Yeah. Can you tell me, do you have any other friends in the congenital heart defect community who also suffer from survivor's guilt? I don't know. Honestly, I kind of do my own thing. Mm-hmm. So that's not something that you've really talked to your heart friends about? No. Do you think that that's because it feels like a taboo subject? Yes. Yeah, I do, I too. Do. I do, too. <laughs> and I'm the mom of a child with a heart defect. But just like you, it's it's something that you're it, it's afraid hard. to talk about. Yeah, it's hard. Like, my husband, he, you know, he married me, and he knew nothing about CHD. He knew nothing about, you know, what we go through. And living with me, like, I've tried to teach, I've taught him, you know, hey, this is what's going on. And I mean, he, it blew his mind when he went with me to see my echo. Oh, really? Now, did it um, scare him? No, it just it amazed him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from a CHD standpoint, like, I want to I show people out there that, yeah, there's CHDs out there. We need help. Absolutely. That's what this radio show is all about. I'm trying to spread awareness as well. And mm-hmm. that there's such a variety. What people don't realize, we actually have 40 different recognized congenital heart defects. Yeah. And it, one in 100 babies are born with a congenital heart defect. Most people aren't aware of those statistics. Well, tell me how suffering from survivor's guilt affects your ability to be an advocate in the congenital heart defect community. And I can I have to remember to separate myself, not get too involved. Um, because if I I found that if I get involved, it tends to make me feel bad that the parents are going through this, and then it makes me realize that my parents had to go through this, and it makes me feel bad mm. that my parents had to go through it with me, and I think that. And that, with that being said, I feel bad because, you know, maybe there was a reason why I'm here now and I, you know, when I shouldn't be, when I've been, you know, my parents were told I wasn't going to live to adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I see kids dying and it, it, help, it hurt because they're, they were once my age. Right, right. You can totally relate to those children in a way that most people cannot. You have literally walked in their shoes. Mm -hmm. So do you find that uh, communicating with other adults with congenital heart defects is less stressful for you than when when you're interacting with the parents or the children? No, I find I feel that it's better for me to interact with the parents because Mm -hmm. that way they can be... They can get assurance that, hey, you know, just because your kid has a CHD, it's not, you know, you're going to, your kid's going to be able to survive. I want to show the parents that, um, I want to be able to, I want the parents out there to know that not only is it a CHD, but let your child live normally. I love that. I try to do the same thing with my son. 
and mm-hmm. he took taekwondo. And I've met other parents who are afraid to sign their children up for something as physical as taekwondo. Can you tell you me? You have to let your kid be mm-hmm. a kid. You cannot mm-hmm. hinder them just because they have a heart condition. It's, it's yeah, it's part of them. It's always going to be part of them, but. Also, another part is growing up. Exactly. So tell us some of the activities that you took part in as you were growing up. Um, I played soccer. I mm-hmm. played tennis with my dad. Um, and I still do play tennis, actually. That's great. Um, I would. I was doing gymnastics for a while. Um, I like to walk. I like to run. I like to run. Um, and... What else did I do? Well, did your mother and father, did your mom and dad let you do sleepovers where you slept over at somebody else's house? I Yeah, I did sleepovers. I have a really good friend, her and I grew up together, and I was always over at her house. And her whole family, you know, they've known me since I was, since we were, I was born. Oh, wow. And um, so if anything, you know, they'd be there. That's awesome. And so she didn't have a heart defect, but she no, knew she about doesn't. it, and she was very accepting of you other, anyway? She was, yes. That's awesome. Uh, you know, sometimes it just takes having that one good friend mm-hmm. that can make such a huge difference. Well, um, have you found any helpful resources or activities that help you deal with the survivor's guilt specifically? Tennis. Good. Talking it out with my husband, uh, we go for walks. Mm-hmm. Um, separating myself sometimes, just writing in a journal. Very um, good. Keeping a journal of what's going on, why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. Those That's are, about it. Yeah, those, those sound good. And your lizards. Don't forget the lizards. And my lizards, yeah. <laughs> I love it that you have your lizards. That's a great distraction, and I think it's very healthy to turn your attention on something that you can express love with and let you distract yourself a little bit. I, I like what you said about sometimes you need to detach. I think mm-hmm. that some people don't realize it's okay if you're on Facebook, Yahoo groups, if you belong to a regular support group that meets in person. It's okay to sometimes take a break. Yeah. Um, it, it, especially for me, like I, I take things not personally, but I take things to heart mm-hmm. and – it just it gets overwhelming, you know, and I'm one of those people who if I see someone hurting, I want to try and fix it, but yet I can't. Right. This is something that we really can't fix. And mm-hmm. when somebody loses a child or just recently I was upset because I found out that one of the people who contributed to the heart of a father passed away. Mm-hmm. And... um It was very upsetting to me because we worked for years together, putting the book together, and I felt like he was part of my extended family. So Mm -hmm. when something like that happens, we do suffer from survivor's guilt, and and sometimes we do need to take a break, and that's okay. Thank thank you so much, Yasmin, for coming on, and I really appreciate you sharing with our listeners your experiences and your advice. Now we need to take a break for a commercial, but when we get back, you'll get to meet Bryce Bagwell and find out why he suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder and how he copes with it when we get back.
Brad Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect or CHD community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today, we are talking with members of the congenital heart defect community, Lauren Bednard, Yasmin Southwood, and Bryce Bagwell, who are dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and survivor's guilt. Thanks to Lauren and Yasmin, we've learned about dealing with anxiety and survivor's guilt. Now, we'll talk with Bryce Bagwell about post-traumatic stress disorder. Bryce Bagwell is a 43-year-old father of two. He works at Joyce Meyer Ministries and for a media consulting company he helped start called 1303 Systems. This is a business he started to make up for his wife's lost income since she stays at home with their daughter. Sophia was born full term in January of 2010. Sophia had multiple procedures to attempt to open up her pulmonary valve before it was replaced at 11 months of age. The same problem with her circulatory system also caused problems for her lungs and liver, and she had to have a liver transplant at 16 months. In caring for Sophia, Bryce's wife and he have had to witness and even inflict a lot of pain. This trauma has been very hard on everyone. He has been treated for post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. He is a member of the St. Louis Children's Hospital Parental Advisory Board. So, Bryce, can you tell us a little bit about finding out Sophia had a congenital heart defect and what your journey has been like? Absolutely. Uh, you know, you start off as parents, you you hope for a healthy child, and it, you know, you don't, you don't always know if that's uh, going to be a reality. So you check and measure everything, and and then baby comes along and we knew right away she was uh, underweight for a full-term baby. Um, she looked fine, but she just was small. And I think you could kind of tell that the doctors were a little unsure of what had gone wrong. But uh, but while we were in the hospital, you know, the only thing they had picked up was a little murmur in the heart, a little uh, something that didn't sound quite right. But that's so common that they said, you know, we'll make a cardiac appointment the first day you come home and we'll figure out you know, what that is. And so that's what we did. And so we were home one day of sort of a normal life. And then uh, we took her in and they did an echo and they looked and they discovered that she did indeed have a, a valve that was very problematic. So we, of course, were very disappointed and concerned. And they assured us that there are a lot of different techniques for fixing things like this. And so she uh, was booked to do a cardiac catheter procedure where they go in with a balloon and kind of stretch out the choke points, which is where her valve was, was located on one of these choke points. And so we did that uh, when she was about two months old and we kept doing that kind of procedure, desperately trying to see if we could 
you know, remedy the problem that way, and it just it just didn't work. And so, uh, what we also discovered was uh, that she started to have other signs of other problems with her circulatory system. So, uh, that all was kind of a mystery, and you know, it took a while to figure out that she was missing a vein to her liver and some of these other things that were affecting her her lungs, and so. It was kind of a rough road because mm-hmm. the symptoms themselves put her in danger a lot, and we almost lost her several times, and yet we still didn't know what the core problem was. Um, and, of course, as soon as you start bringing in experts in all these different areas, they're all saying, well, I don't want to deal with this problem until we fix the heart. And the heart guys mm-hmm. are going, well, why would I fix her heart if her liver's bad? You know, So you end up with you know, this team of people that are desperately trying to figure out how to carefully you know, deal with this house of cards. So it was really scary, and uh, it was really hard for us to uh, to feel comfortable. You know, she also was in a lot of pain, and mm-hmm. so she, you know, was just just cried and and arguably really screamed uh, a lot of the time. And so you're sitting there looking at this child that you know has a bad heart, mm-hmm. and yet she's you know crying harder than most babies ever do for very any length of time, and. You know, and then the doctors are telling us, okay, well, you, you know, I understand your concern, but her heart is reasonably strong. It just has some pressure problems in there. Uh, but the other problems with her could could easily take her even while she's just taking a nap. So, you know, on the one hand, you're assured that, you know, it it's not anything you can control. But at the same time, you know, death is sort of lurking around every corner. And so it, it becomes very, very taxing. And, uh and, you know, eventually we did come up with a plan and we started working towards slowly taking the things that we could safely fix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and eventually we got to the, the liver, which was kind of the, the biggest one. But she had to be strong enough and heavy enough and all of that to be able to handle that. And I'm I'm happy to say she did handle that very, very well. So was she home with you all this time or was she in the hospital this whole time? A lot of times for us it was she was home, but... Mm-hmm. Whenever something would happen, and again, for a long time, we didn't, I mean, lots of odd things were happening because we didn't know what was causing everything. Um, so we'd be back in the hospital for two weeks then maybe home for three or four days, then back in the hospital for two, three more weeks. So we did a lot of that the first two years. It was That was pretty tiring. And we're very fortunate. You know, we live in a major city. We have a great children's hospital here. Um, so the one kind of blessing you start attaching to is, well, wow, look around us. There's people that travel you know, and don't live near these great facilities. And so you you try to be selective, but count your blessings as you're going. Absolutely. Now, did the doctors use any phrases or words that added to your anxiety? I know when Alex was little, they told me the same thing that it sounds like uh, you were having to hear, which is your baby could go at any time. And in fact, I remember Alex's cardiologist say, oh, his heart's like a time bomb. We never know when it's going to go off, which was not reassuring to me whatsoever. I think what he wanted to let me know was that if something happened, it wasn't my fault. But that actually caused me a lot of anxiety. Were there any phrases or words that the doctors use with you that also caused you to feel anxious? You know, I, I feel, again, pretty blessed. Our doctors were exceptional in their word choice. Um, but I think we all know there is a difference between a doctor saying, please, let me reassure you, we do this every day. It's, mm-hmm. you know, we'll figure it out. And then that sort of look in their eye when you know, mm-hmm. you don't know. Mm-hmm. You, you don't know either, do you? And right. I'm having to say, we don't know yet. 
You know, they were very good about pointing us to this is a journey and we will figure this out. But mm-hmm. thankfully, no, there really weren't, at least for me, there was, wasn't really anything that I felt like stuck with me other than just that, that thought, very much mm-hmm. like you said, that they're trying to reassure me right. that I'm not in control, that I'm doing the best that anyone could be expected to do, and that if something happens, it's not my fault. But no, it was, it was just that overall sense that uh, we don't really know which of all of these little afflictions and weaknesses in our system will eventually make her not able to sustain life, and we just have to quickly figure out how to fix all of those without knocking it all down. Right. It makes you realize how intricate the body is, how the liver works with the heart, which works with the lungs, and how any problem with any one of those has like a domino effect, and then it causes problems for everything. Yes, it is so true. And, you know, and I found myself even thinking, you know, okay, there are people that come in with gunshot wounds, you know, and they have, (laughs) you know, random holes all over their body. And somehow we manage to get in there and patch it all up aggressively and we save lives every day. So why is this kid who has these tiny little series of problems that came from the way things formed? How can we not fix it in the same way? I mean, you start to get kind of frustrated, but the more you learn, the more you understand those are two very distinctly different problems. Oh, and I just think it's so hard to be the parent and not be able to fix things, don't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just wanted to be able to kiss all of Alex's boo-boos away, and there was no amount of kissing that was going to make his heart better. That's right. So tell me when you first realized that you had post-traumatic stress disorder. Was there a certain event that triggered that? I don't think it was so much an event as, you know, you sort of start with the obvious. You know, you feel like, oh, I'm... I'm having a decent day, and then some stupid commercial makes you all misty-eyed. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and you're like, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. And uh, But I did find myself then kind of the next level of that is, you know, I work for a ministry, and we mm-hmm. tell stories all the time about hurting children and people that, uh, that you know, are starving or need medical care. And so, and I'd been there many years, and all of a sudden those stories really got too hard for me to, to deal with. And right. that was kind of my first clue. And then I would say the, the time, you know, when it really started to click that I needed to fix that was when I found myself having that sort of disproportionate anger, you mm-hmm. know, when something would set you off and you're just like, why? You, you know, you step outside yourself. Why is this so aggravating to me? I know mm-hmm. that a year ago I wouldn't, I would just brush this off and deal with it. And so, you know, especially if you're a parent, you're sitting there going, well, I can't be angry all the time. I got to figure out how to, how to deal with this. But you just end up with this, uh, I know my wife and I both agree that it was like, I just don't have any patience unless Mm -hmm. someone's life is hanging in the balance. You know, when you've had to stare death in the face and make these tough decisions, you know, when somebody has some petty, you know, office politics or, you know, someone cuts you off in traffic or whatever, you're just Mm -hmm. like, why you, you, you petty person, you (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. And And so it's not very healthy. And I think when I really found myself feeling that way, that it was like, eventually when these things settle down a little, I'm going to have to do something about this. Right. So did you seek help? I did. I did. I had uh, uh, one of the benefits through my workplace was, you know, opportunity to sit with counselors and have a certain number of sessions. And, and so I took, I took them up on that. And, uh, and, you know, even the medical staff that had, you know, was working to save my daughter said, you know, parents that go through this, it kind of makes or breaks the relationship. So you all, you all need to eventually find time to figure out what your brain has done with all of this. So I did, I started seeing a counselor and, uh, 
and we went through, I, I actually made a point when I sought them out to find somebody who had specific experience with post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's what I did. And I did sessions uh, every week and uh, did, I think it's called M, uh, EMDR, uh, which is just one of many different techniques used uh, to try to sort of deal with post-traumatic stress. And uh, and I think it worked pretty well for me. I I, I feel like the uh, you know what I learned in the process was just the fact that the brain's trauma is essentially the brain experiencing something that's pretty extreme, and then it can't make sense of it. And so if you can find a way to sort of go in and say, and not necessarily relive it, but bring up those the emotions that are attached to those memories and experiences and then sort of recalibrate everything and be able to make more sense of it right. and associate something new, some new, you know, make sense of the chaos a little bit emotionally, mm-hmm. then supposedly the brain will sort of put it away in a much more organized way and it won't haunt you quite the way that, that it did before. And I think I've seen some of that progress, but I, I know I've got a lot further to go. Well, I totally understand what you're talking about. I had a major car accident, and I suffered whiplash, and I suffered scoliosis from that. And it was accident-induced. So thanks to a fabulous physical therapist, um, after three months, we were able to get me back almost to where I was before the accident. But she told me that even with that, my brain was traumatized, and we mm-hmm. had to retrain my brain not to be so afraid. I mean, even just turning my head to look, it hurts so bad because of the whiplash that um, you have an automatic reaction to protect yourself. And so I had to retrain my brain. No, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay for me to look. (laughs) And it's kind of the same thing that you're talking about. We have to retrain our brain because I don't know about you, but just some of the smells that we experience in the hospital, that could bring back a feeling of dread on my heart. Just hearing somebody talk about something brought back a bunch of vivid memories. And we do have to retrain ourselves, but it doesn't happen all at once. So, So what advice would you give to other parents who fear that they may be experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder? Well, I think the thing that you have to first sort of admit is, you know, we are not equipped, you know, at birth to sort of handle everything that happens to us in life. And I think you have to say, okay, if it was okay for me to take my child with problems into a specialist and help me make sense of it, well, then why is your brain any different? You know, (laughs) you know, you, you owe it to your child and your spouse and everyone around you, uh, if not yourself, to say, okay, what I have been through now has created some damage and I have mm-hmm. to decide whether I'm going to ignore it or I'm just going to admit that, of course, it caused some damage right. and I'm not some fragile egg, <laughs> but I do know that I don't want to have long-term damage from this. I want to know that I've done something. So, you know, my advice as I talk to other parents that are just starting down this path that you meet in the hospital and things like that is, you know, just you got to talk to a professional, somebody Mm -hmm. who's removed from it and uh, who's made it, you know, their life's calling to sort of treat this stuff and uh, to help you make sense of it. And and even if, you know, your brain's different and this technique isn't quite right and that technique doesn't seem to work, the fact that you're willing to sort of give in and sort of work on it is going to help and uh, and so you just you know you can't have a you can't be have a big ego about it you have to just sort of accept that i need some help and uh and use it as kind of a reward i know that Mm -hmm. sounds a little crazy but you know to say okay i'm finally going to take this stuff that i've sort Mm -hmm. of ignored but i know is you know sort of rotting in my soul (laughs) you know these terrible experiences these horrible things that i either saw and like Mm -hmm. i said in most 
parents' cases, you know, with the shots you have to give them and mm-hmm. holding them down while the nurses do things. I mean, it's this is bad stuff. And to yeah. say, I owe it to myself to get this junk out. And whatever I got to do to do that is worth it. And it's worth it to me and my family. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Bryce, for sharing your experiences with us. I hope Sophia is doing better now. Yes, and- she is. Is she? Oh, good. She is. Thank you. Oh, great. So it's time for our last commercial break. And then after that, tune in for our miracle moment when we get back. Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today, we've talked with the congenital heart defect community. We talked with Lauren Bernard, Yasmin Southwood, and Bryce Bagwell, all who were dealing with different aspects of either post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, or survivor's guilt. I want to thank all of my guests, Lauren, Yasmin, and Bryce, because I know that what they experienced today was very difficult to talk about, and I know that it took a lot of courage for them to come on the show, but I know that their stories, their experiences, and their advice are going to help so many of our listeners. I think the most important lesson to be learned from today's show is that we are not alone. There's an entire congenital heart defect community that's over a million people strong who understand about the stress of living with a chronic illness. Some of them know what it's like to hand a child over to a surgeon knowing they may never get to hold their child alive again. Some of them know what it's like to be the one undergoing life-saving open-heart surgery. Some of the members of our community are grandparents who suffer twice over, once for the child they love who is suffering, a pain no parent should have to endure, and then again for the beloved grandchild that they are helpless to care for. Now for the final part of our show, our miracle moment. Today's miracle moment is from the book, The Heart of a Father, and it is written by a heart warrior I greatly admired, Steve Cato. He wrote a poem called The Heroes We Forget About. The Heroes We Forget About by Steve Cato. Though rarely mentioned, heart dads suffer too. The man is supposed to be the protector and defender of his family. But how do you fight something like congenital heart defects? The answers are maddeningly vague. Yet, dads are supposed to have all the answers. Breaking down in tears and shouting, I just don't know what to do, isn't an acceptable response. So they bite it back and it eats at them. And there is no such thing as normal with a cardiac kid. Dads have to trust other people with their children's lives. For a guy, that is especially hard to do. 
take my child away and cut on him or her? No way. That's why fathers seem to have the most difficult time in the surgical waiting rooms. Fixing the problem is their job. Real men don't leave the work to someone else. No. A real man understands that as much as he wants to correct the situation himself and to make everything all better, he can't do it. Dads, they might be able to fix the broken heart that occurs after that first crush goes sour, but congenital heart defects are beyond him. So he finds someone who knows how to make things better. They will go to the wall for their families. That concludes today's episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thank you for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern Time for a brand new episode. During the month of February, also known as Heart Month, Heart to Heart with Anna will broadcast a show every day. On Tuesdays, we'll have a brand new show featuring our theme for Season 7, Congenital Heart Defects Around the Globe. The other days will be encore presentations with a brand new intro. If you'd like to know what shows will be featured, you can check out our website at www.hearttoheartwithanna.com. Please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our Café Press Boutique. Revenue from the Café Press Boutique helps to defray the cost of this radio show. Follow our radio show on Blog Talk Radio and especially on Spreaker. Once we get to 100 followers on Spreaker, we can petition iHeartRadio to carry our show. And then people can listen to Heart to Heart with Anna in their cars. Thanks again for listening. We know that congenital heart defects touch people all over the globe. So remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. Music.